Canvas, art and ideas on FBI Radio. Good Sunday morning to you. This is Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5 and I'm your host, David Capra. And I'm your other host, Sabella D'Souza. We'd like to begin our show, as always, by acknowledging the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, from which we broadcast to you every Sunday morning. We'd also like to extend our respects to our First Nation listeners, their elders, past, present and emerging. We acknowledge that this land was never traded, sold or given up. Sovereignty was never ceded. And we've got a hell of a lineup of a show for you this morning uh, with international guests, Sydney locals, and some specialised Mardi Gras content. Um, up first, we have an interview with Intersect. Uh, it's a British Council and Diversity Arts Australia led knowledge exchange program. And we have Michaela Tai, a UK participant and curator, Adelaide Bannerman. And then we're sitting down with Joey Jolene Matale, who co-founded um, the Pacific Sexual and Gender Diversity Network. Her most recent campaigns for equality in the Kingdom of Tonga have also become the subject of a documentary called um, Ladies in Waiting, which is screening at the Queer Screens for Mardi Gras, which I'm really, really excited. We are really lucky to have her on, aren't we? I, we have like such a like women of colour jam pack day today that I myself am very, very excited. The documentary was so good. I hope you were able to catch it. Yes, yes. Yeah. We were able to catch it just before it's being screened. Um, I think it's screening this Wednesday. Um, so there's still tickets available. So you should definitely check it out. I think we posted on our Facebook about it. But yeah, if you're not excited by this week, then... <laughs> what have you been doing? You know what I've been doing mostly this year? You, this... you asked me so that you could ask yourself. <laughs> but yes, David, tell me what I, you've been doing. I've been catching up on changing rooms. Now, you're probably too young to remember changing rooms, but it got me through my HSC. Okay. It was like a... Uh, it's like a, a, a renovation uh, DIY show that used to be on the TV and it used to be about sponging and mm. and they have a big colour reveal when they get the paint tins out. But it's not quite what I remember it like to be. Like it's it's it a like little a bit more sophisticated now. Is it like now. a show makeover? That's right. So yeah. it's like extreme makeover. That's right. Yeah, but for for rooms. Yeah, yeah. Like like um, it's like. Those, it was like that MTV show where they'd be like, you like horses? Well, your room is the inside of a horse now. That's um, right. That's, that's how I kind of remember It's just it. not as cool. Yeah. But, yeah. I don't think the show was very cool in the first place. I used to watch a lot of Room Raiders, which was like an MTV... I watched a lot of terrible reality MTV shows, like Next, which was where... Anyway, no one needs to know what Remember Next, but it was a great show. <laughs> Who's doing our uh, music Ah, oh, well, today, like we had last week, we have a very special guest music curator, Jan Terry. Um, I've been listening to her songs all week personally because I've kind of been, mm. um, I've discovered her now. Well, I haven't discovered her. Laura Hunt, our music producer, um, was kind enough to get in contact with her and Jan Terry was even kind enough to agree to pick our music. Um, so, Which is amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. So you have an issue with the music Bring it up t with Jan. Maybe yeah. send her an email. Yeah. Oh, the mu yeah. We some people have had some issues with the music that she's chosen. I have not. Like I, Taylor Swift. Like Taylor Swift. I honestly, 
I don't like Taylor Swift, but it was a banger. <laughs> um, anyway, I've been listening to her songs all week, and i got to say this next country track is a bit bittersweet. This is Jan Terry with If You Want a Divorce. I'm Sabella D'Souza, and you're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5 or via our digital stream. song from our sweetest music curator to date, the very special Chicago-based Jan Terry with a track off her first studio album, Baby Blues, from 1993. Um, If you're keeping track, that's two years before I was born. Um, We'll be hearing from more of her album later in the show, as well as a couple of her favourite classic hits. Right now, however, we're in studio with Adelaide Bannerman and Michaela Tai. Dr. Michaela Tai, I've been told. I've been told to say. The it's doctor. A, yeah, it's important. You know, you've dedicated a few years of your life. I've got to say doctor. I've got to say it. Uh, well, Adelaide Bannerman is a project manager and curator based in London. She works part of her time for International Curators Forum and in 2018 initiated Never Done, a residency program for artists and curatorial research. Well, doctor. <laughs> Michaela Tai is the director for a Centre for Contemporary Asian Art, Sydney. She received critical acclaim, critical acclaim for her organisation of um, organization of the performance program at Art Centre Hong Kong 2016 to 2018. Her current project with Eugenia Lim's touring exhibition, The Ambassador, opens at the Samstag um, as part of the Adelaide Festival next week. Mm-hmm. So you're both busy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you're an avid listener of Canvas, you might remember Michaela's obsession with canto pop star Leon Lai. Yes. Very important human to me. Ooh. Mm. Really? What have they been up to lately? We need to be introduced. <laughs> Actually, I was obsessed with him um, the whole way through high school. And right. they have this avenue of stars in Hong Kong um, where they've kind of done this like Hollywood Walk of Fame thing. And it's been under refurbishment. Um, so I'm going back next month and I can visit his, his handprints again. So I'm quite excited. Wow. Secretly. That'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> Place your hand against <laughs> Against his. <laughs> We can listen to something like that. Okay. (laughs) Um, So I wanted to kick off the show by kind of asking, kind of, I'm asking you this. Um, Could you describe maybe the first moment of realising maybe you were othered in the arts and is there a striking moment that springs to your mind um, when you think about your experience as a woman of colour working in the arts and kind of maybe how has that shaped your practice? Let's just go like full ham into the middle of it. Yeah, let's just go in. (laughs) Well, I think for me, it began as an undergraduate, actually. Um, I mean, there was one thing making work, but when it came to uh, finding references or trying to um, uh, kind of relate my the experiences that I was having as a black British woman, um, having to find artists before me who were possibly um, making work along those same lines was very difficult. It wasn't, it wasn't an experience that was reflected in resources like in libraries or with, with other artists. So having to kind of do that work, um, not so much in isolation because you find other people who are trying to look for similar materials and stuff like that, but I guess that was the introduction into that kind of um, uh, sense of uh, 
kind of developing your own resources at the same time as well and, and what how you might fit within the mainstream or how you might not have that space within the mainstream. Were there any artists... We'll get to you in a second, Michaela. Mm. <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask, were there any artists that spring to mind when you were, as an undergrad, that you kind of maybe found and followed kind of their path? Because I think for me personally, it's always been really important to have seeing artists and, um, and artists that reflect kind of your identity following a path because you can kind of be like, oh, okay, this is how, this is when they got here at this point. This is maybe how I can kind of get there and kind of like following in people's footsteps, I guess. Were there any particular artists for you that influenced you? Well, yes. I mean, there are a number who have actually become friends eventually. Um, uh, so there were, uh, you know, there was a generation of artists who'd gone through, uh, I guess, first-generation British artists who'd gone through the education system and had coming out, having ambitions, aspirations to be artists. So people like Sonia Boyce, um, David A. Bailey, you have people like Lubaina Himid, um, uh, so many names that I probably can't remember at this moment. All, um, but you know, the, um, there were people like that. People like Adrian Piper from the US. But but basically, I think I was just trying to connect with conversations that were out there, but trying to find them and know that it wasn't just about my experience or just my peers. About it's happened before, and it's like how am I contributing to that kind of conversation as well? Yeah, it's understanding that all the work that you create in some way or another is on the shoulders of everyone else who yes. came before, yes. and learning to acknowledge that in your work, but also to move in with them and and kind of building on top of that. Yes, um, Michaela. How would you answer the first part of that question? Yeah. <laughs> well, mine's really similar. I mm. mean, I went to university and didn't see anybody Asian taught to me in an undergraduate art history degree. Um, went to the library. There was three books on contemporary Chinese art. That was it. And, yeah, I was really puzzled by it. And I was lucky that I had lecturers that allowed me to bend questions so I could write about things that I was interested in. Mm. But also, it comes, I mean, when I first finished my PhD I didn't use doctor for quite a few years and then um, an artist who I really respect took me aside and said you need to start using that because not many people of colour in Australia have a degree like this you need to prove that we we, we, we can get them and we are experts in a content area. And, really and, see, and especially in a creative field as well yeah. and in the social sciences is to see where kind of again like there's so many artists of colour who kind of our lecturers don't necessarily reflect us and yes. we go into a space where all of a sudden like when you create I found this for me personally but when I create art I'm talking with my lecturers or even my peers and um, most of them are white at times you know sometimes there's people of colour and I like cling to them um, but mainly because also it becomes really difficult sometimes for people to give you critique because you'll be like hey what do you think about this work and they'll be like oh it's so authentic and you're like yeah but like is it good like I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know what this means like it almost becomes a barrier in some ways because mm. people just see you only for this kind of tokenism or quota yeah. or mm. diversity tick that happens. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, it can be really, really frustrating. Mm. Michaela, what was it like landing the role of director at Gallery 4A mm. and then being able to create change in, in the art yeah, world? Yeah, I, I guess I had always... I mean, I'd worked with 4A for quite some period um, before that in Melbourne with Aaron. Um, and 4A really, as someone coming through and someone looking towards a space, the fact that Australia had somewhere like 4A has always been really special. Um, but, yeah, it came with a lot of responsibility, though, because I've never worked anywhere ever, I don't think I ever will again after 4A, um, where the community is so 
engaged and feel so connected to a place like 4A. And yes, they may do a show there, but 20 years later, they're still coming to everything and still very engaged. Um, so there is a really big responsibility about how we tell stories and support artists. So yeah, it was exciting, but also daunting. Still is. <laughs> Still is. Um, you're both um, taking part in a knowledge exchange led by Diversity Arts and the British Council um, under the name Intersect, if you guys didn't realise what we were talking about before. Um, <laughs> could you tell us a bit about how Intersect works, Adelaide? Ah. <laughs> From your own perspective? <laughs> uh, I can tell you how it is working. I yeah. mean, uh, so, so there are six of us, uh, three from based here in Australia and then three of us from the UK and we've been meeting on a monthly basis um, well we had a first flesh meeting in September last year Congratulations when, um, <laughs> when Michaela Candy and Jacob came over to the UK and we spent quite an intense few days um, introdu- introducing each other to our networks or the UK side of it we introduced um, um, the, the rest of the cohort to our contact uh, to our contacts and networks and then we met um, some quite senior figures as well those who are um, involved in policy making or in professional development um, yeah so so it was quite an intense um, uh, kind of interaction and and I guess what we've established with the meetings that we're having, um, on the monthly basis is that uh, we're trying to put care at the forefront of what we're doing and actually asking ourselves how we are as professionals, as people dealing with the kind of work that we're doing and uh, I guess taking the cues from there as to what kind of conversation we have. Yeah. And Michaela? Yeah, I think I mean, going to the UK was a really amazing experience. I was really surprised by like the depth of the conversations we had mm. in the UK, but also the strength in meeting another, working with, you know, five other people to have a springboard of people to call and touch base with once a month to say, look, I'm having these kinds of challenges. Um, what do you guys think? How should we approach it? And, you know, sometimes it can be quite difficult, the work that we do. And having a support network has really changed the way I've worked in the last few months. It's been really great. Yeah, I mean, it gives us a pause, really, to kind of uh, think about those things because sometimes you're just practically working through things, but, you know, the, the, to, to take the time to actually kind of reflect as well is, is pretty important as well. But having to do that with others who become a part of this mentoring network is, is, is been quite extraordinary, actually. Mm. Yeah. Well, on that note, we'll go to our next track from Jan Terry. This is Missing You More and More. You're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio, and I'm Stella D'Souza. This week and next we are showcasing the YouTube star who rose to fame and has captured many hearts along the way, including Marilyn Manson among them. Right now we're in the studio with Adelaide Bannerman and Michaela Ty. I'm David Capra and you're listening to Canvas. Yes, you're in the process of um, kind of being a part of the Australian section of this. So you were originally in the UK Mm -hmm. and now we're doing this kind of other peer support. Um, 
I guess, and so it's not as much as it's, you know, it's a knowledge exchange and it's a cultural exchange in some ways. And I guess I wanted to ask about the complexities of unpacking um, when you're having this kind of interaction between the British Council and the Australian Council. Obviously, there's long histories of colonialism that exist mm. within the Australian and even in obviously the British context, this context as well. And I guess, how have you both approached that when having people from overseas mm. kind of learning together? Well, the good thing about it, I guess, is that um, it really all fades into the background and it has become a relationship between Adelaide and myself. Yes. Um, and yes, it's supported by these bodies. But really, when I was in the UK, um, Adelaide programmed a whole series of meetings for me where I could meet people that I didn't even know existed. Um, and through those that personal relationships, was able to create and expand my own network with people who are people that I'm really keen to meet. And then on Tuesday, I'm doing the same here. So mm. I guess there are the big structures behind it. But what's really nice is that they actually all fade into the background and it's become a sharing um, between our, our own networks that we've created around these big, chewy questions um, and trying to facilitate each other mm. engaging. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, and it's about us actually... It's a very basic thing, but it's about us actually getting to know one another yeah. as well. Because, you know, obviously there's an aspiration to continue working or find ways of working. So, you know, it's it, that's why it's very much, you know, in progress or that's the process that we've um, set ourselves upon. You know, it's, it's about ways of working, how to... Uh, continue our conversations as well. So it's, it's the, the, so yeah. When you say it kind of those kind of larger things kind of fade into the background because you know at the end of the day it's about you and I and the rest of the group as mm. well and you know getting on mm. and and finding those ways to have those conversations mm. the straight up ones as well and you know? building those and and building those networks. Hopefully that'll last beyond you know this of program course, and, of course. and and having kind of an ongoing meaningful interaction between mm. yeah. individuals and uh, of course then as a result different artistic communities mm. exactly that you both hold dear to yourself so yeah like, yeah, yeah no. we have a very healthy whatsapp group yes <laughs> yes we do yes we do but yeah i mean ex exactly the kind of potential of the kind of um, community or relationships that we can develop from here onwards really i mean it's it's pretty expansive and because we have that disciplinary interdisciplinary kind of um uh, uh, makeup of the group as well you know I mean the, the possibilities of what kinds of conversations or what that kind of programming could look like and and where it could happen is it's quite exciting. And have either of you learned anything from the exchange thus far, far or met people that you kind of surprised by or have you had conversations that have kind of surprised you in any way? I guess I mean I, I've, I've already had the luxury of experiencing mine um, mine was more about um, it was about people, but it was also about the structures of exchange. Mm. So ways that um, these conversations can be held, um, whether it's in a small, intimate breakfast, mm. um, whether it's in a cafe in Cardiff, um, yeah. <laughs> well, sort of a very noisy Indian cafe. Like, you know, these things can happen anywhere. They don't have to be fully produced, structured things. Mm. And finding these new, more... Um, Maybe they could be smaller ways to do things, but have still have a huge effect. Mm. And almost informal in, in, in the approach yeah. as well, which makes it inevitably more accessible and approachable in being able to pass that knowledge from one person to another. Yeah, yeah. What but about you so sure. far? In, I know you're still in the, you're in the thick of it. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of hard to see from the inside out. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so what was, so what was the question again? <laughs> um, it was just asking about what you've learned thus far. Or what I've learned? Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, earlier on what we were... I think what Michaela and I both agree with is that we had become... I think just via the conversation, we realised that our, um, our regional focus and discussions could be much wider. I think sometimes you kind of forget that um, you, you have an awareness of what else is going on in the world, but the opportunity to actually be more focused and do the research and, and then start to look at the connections between certain conversations, mm-hmm. I think that's what I became more aware of because I'd kind of lost a bit of a focus on this region, I think. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of ignited that again. And then I can... I can it's not such a... Um, you know, there are conversations that we're all having in isolation somewhere. So it's about trying to connect those dots. And I think that's what um, I've realised that is, is is open to me to do, actually. And that's mm. what I think will be happening as well. So, yeah. And uh, Diversity Arts is hosting a symposium, Fair Play. Uh, so there's, there's going to be lots of big questions. But I wanted to know, what do you think gets in the way most when representing diverse groups of people within the arts and like who are the gatekeepers (laughs) everyone (laughs) that's a big question um i think the the biggest challenge i think something that came out of our talks as part of the intersect program has been about creating structures and creating infrastructures or creating new structures Mm. and pathways um and actively building pathways for people to follow as well as from some for ourselves to follow us um, and avoiding the gatekeepers by making new things. Yeah. So that's really exciting. Yeah, just building a different structure entirely. Yeah. It's like, cool, well, okay, you don't want us here, we'll build our own cooler, better but thing. But making here. sure that it's still attached, though, because mm. the, the, what's there is, is not going to go away tomorrow. No. no. So how do we do things that complement that but demand space and yes. demand visibility? Um, that's kind of been exciting. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of talk about that actually because I think you can be um, I guess it depends on the frame of mind that you're in you could you could you know you could one day wake up and think you know I want to completely avoid you know those structures but at some point you're going to come up to it again so how do you develop a relationship where it's on your own terms as well Um, but also be able to inform you know those institutions in terms of making those changes as well so it's it's a constant kind of hmm. uh negotiation really but how does it work so that it is productive and you're not feeling that kind of sense of being marginalized or, or, or not diverted from the kind of work that you actually want to do because of those um, structures hmm. well thank you so much for joining us um adelaide and michaela um if you guys are just joining us, that was UK freelance project manager and curator Adelaide Bannerman, director of Foray Centre for Contemporary Art, Michaela Tai, Dr. Michaela Tai. Doctor. I'm going to keep punctuating it. Um, it's important. <laughs> it is. Um, talking about the intersect program um, and knowledge and cultural exchange between the UK and Australia. Um, up next, we have another amazing woman of, woman of colour joining us in the studio. I'm excited for Jolene. Um, Matale. Um, but first, let's go to Olivia Newton John.
listened to two tracks there. Um, one was Centerfold by Microfilm, and the one just before that was Olivia Newton-John um, with I Honestly Love You. I feel like you can really hear the vocal influence um, of Olivia's voice on Jan Terry's um, tracks that we've played. Um, that track was released back in 1974. Um, but right now we're in studio with Jolene Matale, uh, entrepreneur, professional singer, entertainer, event planner. These are the things that you've described yourself as. Single mother of four adopted children. Jolene um, has been an active promoter for HIV and AIDS awareness and an activist for the LGBTIQ in Tonga um, and the Pacific for over 30 years. Um, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> Jolene, can we talk about your name and where it came from? It, you were christened Jolene by a, the Queen of Tonga. Yeah, well, Joey. And Joey. then, yes. Right. And then um, then Her Royal Highness, Princess Pilarevo, the Princess Royal, um, gave me the second one, the second name. And uh, that's apart from a few other names that was given by my grandmother to be... <laughs> Um, and um, it was uh, because I think it, it's when she visited um, my mother at, at the hospital and then she, they said she asked my grandmother uh, what is her uh, um, what is his name and uh, they said oh Joe is in Josiah you know and uh, she turned around and said no take that Joe away it's too much in your family in that family Name him Joey. <laughs> oh, is that right? So that's how they're... <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> you know, you've, it's, it's, it's now longer. It's Jolene. <laughs> <laughs> and then her highness came and saw... Um, and when we went to the palace, I had curly hair and everything. You know, I looked like Shayla Temple. <laughs> and um, and the, she actually... Uh, started putting makeup and put my hair in ringlets and everything and and that's when she started calling me Jolene right. so that name came to the registration because <laughs> we've just learned about you through a documentary called Lady in Waiting and uh, and what I found really moving was your relationship with the Queen uh, what was it like your relationship with well um I've always been close to her since I was born um, because every weekend we'll be going to the palace with my grandmother. It was like a daily routine for her. You know, she'll always be there spending time with the queen, queen's mother, uh, the queen mother's mother, um, um, and also the queen's auntie, who they, she was very close to. And... They, you know, they'll walk into the palace and they're the only ones who will be sitting there having cups of tea and in their, you know, like English, typical English ladies, um, afternoon tea, morning tea, and, you know, listening to all their stories and all that. Um, so I've always been, because I was brought up by my grandmother. My mother died when I was five months old and my grandparents raised me. And um, that's why I was constantly at the palace most of the time, you know, because my grandmother was always at the palace. And I became more a little tale of, you know, of her. And everywhere the queen will go in, after for the afternoon ride or her mm -hmm. visit to the disab disability children, the Red Cross, I'll be tagging along, you know. And then I got 
uh, addicted to it, and I became a, a volunteer at the Red Cross and also served at the, at the dis, uh, Children's Disability uh, Centre. So, you know, even when uh, my grandmother passed away, then um, the Queen Mother was then a lot um, um, older, and so I became one of her personal assistants. Right. Um, Travelling with her and doing things for her, taking care of medicine and everything. (laughs) And that's what we see in Laity in Waiting. Can you tell us the origin of the word Laity? The Laity came came out of a word called Fakalaiti, you know, and um, but because we changed the word Fagaleti to Leiti because everything in Tonga is Faga this, Faga that, Faga Malo, Faga Laumari, you know. It's like a pre-pronouns of a formal word. I see. But when they use Fagaleti, it didn't sound right for us because every single time they they actually say the word and... um towards us it's like a curse mm-hmm. you I know see. it's like saying faggot mm-hmm. or pufta right you know and and we didn't like it you know the way they expressed the word um so we had when we started the the lady the tongue ladies association in 1992 we took the faka part off and used just use the lady because it sounds more um feminine and more suitable for our community. And not only that, but Fraleti wasn't a Tongan word at all. It was brought by those researchers to, that means um, like a lady. Oh, I see. You know, but the word that that um, that we grew up with was Fafafine or Fafafine. Um, that's more suitable if you say it in a, you know, um, but we never used Valeti until later in the early seventies, I think. Or yeah. So it's the, the origins of the word kind of have this um, like tension, I guess, with long-standing kind of British and imperial colonial influence. When you're looking um, in the in the film itself, you kind of are talking about um, evangelical missionaries and the effect of them on the late 80s but also on Tongan society in general um, I guess if you could could you speak to that a little bit well if we go back again um, to 500 AD you know there was no Christianity but yep. there was and and there was no labeling mm-hmm. you know of who's what and what gender you have and you know everybody was just a human being you know the only thing we knew um that i i i studied i mean when um or even taught at school you know when we were kids was the standard the status of people in in society which is the commoners the nobles and the the royal family and we have different languages for the commoners, the nobles, and the king, you know. And um, that was the only thing that would differentiate us. But uh, during the, you know, everyday lives, there was nothing. Until 
until um, religion came, Christianity came into our shores, then it sort of labeled us and it made us know what gender we are and it gave us all those words that we were we weren't used to. We never we even don't even use LGBTIQ mm. back at home. We only use Lady. Mm. That's it. You know, for everybody, for all the LGBTIQ people. And so it actually put a barrier on our, you know, on our community. And it made us look as the sinners or the children of the devil, you know. And, and yet, we're still human beings. We don't deform overnight and look like Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how I wish I could look like Cleopatra. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, on that note, we're going to come back to Jolene in a moment. But first, we are going to listen to the King Elvis Presley with Suspicious you. Minds. You're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5. We're caught in a trap. I can't walk out. out from that song because I love Suspicious Minds so much from Elvis <laughs> Presley. Um, that's Memphis to Vegas, from Vegas to Memphis, an album released in 1969. We're in the studio right now with Jolene Matale um, talking about the 80s in waiting and you know her own experiences. Jolene, can you tell us what the role of the ladies uh, play in Tongan culture? The role of... Um Ladies in, in Tonga, um, majority are home domestic workers. Um, they, when it comes to um, church functions, they are the ones who are doing the cooking, setting up decorations, serving, you know. Um, and, and everybody knows that they do a great job, a wonderful job, you know, because they do it to the best. They actually compete with each other at, during the conferences, you know, all these <laughs> church conferences, you see them decorating, one's doing one side and one doing one side, and, you know, you can see who's doing the best decor and who's cooking the best food or, you know, and, um, and it's good for the community. That's what they do, you know, that's what they do best. Um, we do have um, the ones that are working at the banks. They are ones that are doing the working at the government, you know. The difference is the ones that are working for the government, you don't see them, even though they are transgender people, or, um, but you never see them in dresses. They'll have to wear men's clothes, which is different for the private sectors and the ones that are doing home domestic work. Um, they can wear whatever they want, you know, and and then you can see the limitation and where the the barrier stands, you know, and some and in some uh, churches, I think the only church in Tonga that will allow us to be who we are is the Catholic Church. Right, you know, they're more tolerant, and uh, you know, and apart from that, majority of the other churches do not allow um, or they just don't talk about it until I walk into the you know to that church in my glory and uh, <laughs> nobody says anything they just smile but really 
<laughs> but apart from that, you know, I've always said that they're, we're the ones who are doing the dirty work every single time. Mm. And when it comes to our personal choice, that's when everybody puts their two cents in. And then you started um, the Miss Galaxy Queen pageant in 1993, I think. How was that, uh, how was that I guess, received by the community? It was very well received. The very first one, we did it at my father's um, hotel, and it was we actually were only catering for for 150 people. We ac- actually received 250, almost 300, and we had to stop wow. the door because it was jam. It was a fire hazard. Oh my <laughs> gosh! It was. We were practically standing like we can't even move. Lucky we had entrance to our changing rooms and all that. Um, but otherwise, the people were just jamming the whole hotel, um, uh, Fear Fear Hall. Um, and then we had to, we did it twice there, and then we had to move from there to another bigger place. Um, and after the third year, um, or the fourth year, we were told from the International Dayline Hotel that we can't do it over there anymore because one of the ministers of the government was totally against it. Mm. And he is um, the chairperson for the board of the hotel. And so I, we had to move from there, you know, to a bigger place, right. you know, to the, where we are, with, where we have been having it for the past uh, um, 20 years. Wow. And that's the Queen Salote Memorial Hall. But the Miss Galaxy has brought a lot of international um, uh, media and a lot of participants from overseas. And also even our Tongan people or just people traveling to Tonga just to watch the the pageant Mm. because it it has become one of the biggest, you know, events in in Tonga. Mm. And um, not only that, but, you know, we... The reason why we had the Miss Galaxy was because we had no resource at all when we started the Tongaletis Association in '92, and none of us had any um, full education. We were all school dropouts, you know, and we didn't know how to write proposals to do our work, um, you know. And Miss Galaxy has funded 62 scholarships for our, for our school dropouts since we started. And uh, it has funded our HIV programs, awareness programs. It has funded our HIV testing. Now we have a quarterly test for our all our members back at home, and we even do take our test to the, you know, outside our community to, you know, and every single time we have a, a Miss Galaxy, there's a testing area for mm. people to just go and have their test during the pageant, you know, and it. It has become known, and people making people feel feel safe that they will, you know, that they would like to know their status. You know, it's nothing to hide anymore. You know, then they feel safe that there are people around that will care for you. You know, so yeah. And a few years ago, you didn't hold the pageant at all, all, but instead held a political symposium. So you're quite quite political, and I mean, you are an activist. Where do you think uh, your I guess your activism will focus uh, in the future. Well, I've always believed in change, you know, and change if if um, 
if change can be a tool to save someone li- someone's life, then it's good, you know. Um, and that's what I want. I mean, I I like to see that our work is has gone from just HIV and AIDS, but the rights for people to be who they are and be comfortable, even for people living with HIV, that they still have a life to live. You know, it's not like cancer. You get it today and you die tomorrow, you know. But not only that, but at the same time, through consultations, counseling, and, you know, those people can be heroes. They can be champions if you support them in the right way. And I'd, I'd like to see that uh, the work that we do not recognized because of who we are, but to be recognized for to save the lives of others. Yeah. And I, I guess with that in mind, I, I wanted to thank you today for speaking so openly and honestly um, about your journey. And you do that in the film very, very eloquently. Um, in an interview um, that I was listening to um, before I came in this morning, you mentioned... Um, that I think it was your mother or your grandmother mentioned that forgiveness is better than sacrifice. Um, and, you know, kind of a sort of urging for you to protect yourself from the inside out. And I guess I wanted to ask you what you would say to maybe your younger self in coming to terms with your identity or maybe even young listeners today who might see your journey within themselves. Hmm. Big question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the reason why I, I, I had to change my, I mean, I had to mm. change myself from being the biggest feared person, because mm. uh, I was always a fighter. I was always a fist fighter, mm. you know, when I was young. And when I, um, my grandmother knew that my anger can, you know, can do things badly for me you know and that's why she she said when i decided to leave school when i was 14 years old and i haven't been back to school since then (laughs) (laughs) my grandmother always said you know in order for you to be somebody you need to forgive learn to forgive because if you do not learn to forgive yourself then you won't be able to forgive those who done who does badly to you you know bad things to you and and that was always her word forgive is better than sacrifice you know and i i, I had to change to try and change my attitude my life my everyday movement just to be able to overcome the the worst things that i've gone through the the life that I went through, the past that I went through, you know, I can forgive, but I cannot forget, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and I've always wanted to, to just get away from, you know, and not even think about uh, what that has been damaging my life, you know. So I use that tool to, like I said before, uh, you know, if I if there's change and it will save others, uh, another person's life, then yeah, why not? 
Well, thank you so much. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us and for giving us the opportunity to talk to you today. It was really, really special. And to you just tuning in, that was Jolene Matale, trans advocate from the Kingdom of Tonga, currently promoting the 80s in waiting at Queer's it's Queer Screen's 26th Mardi Gras Film Festival in Sydney on Wednesday, the 27th of February. Definitely check it out. It's a powerful documentary. And Jolene will be singing. Yes, Jolene will be singing <laughs> um, before. Um, so it's definitely worth the watch and the support. Our next track is Facts My Love from Jan Terry. You're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio. almost missed it but we're back we just heard a track from um facts my love from 1993 uh that's two years again before i was born i'm i'm doing all the tracks today by how far they were from when i was actually born um (laughs) composed by our music curator chicago born cult youtube star jan terry i'm sabella d'souza and you're listening to canvas on fbi radio 94.5 and we've got a lot of podcasts up Because Sabella has been very busy editing all our mistakes, our technical, our technicalities. You can't get them all, but I tried to get some. (laughs) She's been erasing those out and trying to give you a smooth listening um, of Canvas Arts and Ideas. So you can listen to them via fbiradio.com or via iTunes or via Spotify. Yeah, we're on Spotify. That's exciting. Yeah, so it's easy listening now. all the tracks aren't in... Unfortunately, all the tracks aren't in our um, podcast at the moment, but they've got about, like, 10 seconds of each song. So you get a little taster. Mm. If you want to go look up what that song is later, uh, which you can also look up on FBI Radio under Programs and then under Canvas, you can see all the songs that we've played today from the lovely Jan Terry. Um, our other announcement is that next week, David will be away. I will be here, but I think I will be silent. Um, and we'll be having a special Mardi Gras weekend listening experience for you, brought to you by Campbelltown Arts Centre. Um, they did an event last year, All Ears Queer Listening, um, and we're going to kind of do a retrospective on that, and it's kind of in a lead-up to them releasing a, a podcast. So it's going to be a really fun show with a lot of amazing artists and chats, and it's very, you know, Mardi Gras-themed. So, you know, when you're hungover on Sunday morning, tune in. It's perfect. <laughs> so I, I would certainly be listening in. And I'm going to be in... really hungover. <laughs> <laughs> and also there's another event uh, in response di- di- dialogues with uh, Real Time. It's an exhibition at UNSW Library, uh, which is marking the closure of Real Time Arts Magazine, which has been going on for a long time. And Dancer Martin Delamo will be talking about their work. And that's on this Thursday at 6.30 at the UNSW Library Exhibition Space. We'd like to thank you for listening and our special guests to our, and our special guests, Adelaide Bannerman, Michaela Ty and Jolene Matiley, and our music curator, Jan Terry. Canvas is brought to you by a team of artists, David Capper and myself. Um, the final track is from our music curator, of course, Jan Terry. Um, I'd like to make it with you. Here are exclusive and 
um, Kira exclusive interview with Jan. We actually get to sit, well, Laura Hunt gets to sit down and chat with her in about two weeks' time. So make sure you're listening then as well. Tune in next for Weekend Lunch with Martin Reyes. In the city night, the neon lights will shine. And the morning dew are in the morning light. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.